I'm Wasir, and you're listening to Undercurrent, a podcast complementing the Undercurrent art space at 70 John Street in Brooklyn. In a minute, you'll hear Adriana's interview with Megan Cox that she recorded last week. Megan's show, Hours and Hours, opened at Undercurrent on April 23rd and runs through June 6th. A great time to see the show would be this Saturday, May 22nd, because Undercurrent is programming an hour of outdoor poetry at 3 p.m., Four poets will be reading outside to coincide with Dumbo Open Studios. The event will be hosted by Sheila Maldonado and include three other poets, David Pemberton, Stella Padnos, and Bakar Wilson. Sheila was one of the artists who participated in Unmute. Her newest poetry collection, That's What You Get, was released this year by Brooklyn Arts Press. The daughter of Armando and Vilba of El Progreso Yoro Honduras, she lives in uptown Manhattan where she is working on an ongoing project about a lifelong obsession with the ancient Maya. David is a librarian at the School of Visual Arts and ran the Acidic Ghost Spectral Reading Series from 2012 to 2018 based on his long-running series of poems about the life of images. He is a husband, father of two, Cub Scout den leader, and cat companion in Maplewood, New Jersey. Stella is a poet, social worker, mama, and ex-wife. Her debut poetry collection, In My Absence, and subsequent chapbook, Next to Nothing, were both published by Winter Goose Publishing. She enjoys writing about ambivalence, attraction, and general emotional discomfort. Bakar has performed his poetry and has been published widely. He has also been awarded fellowships from Kaveh Kanem, the Squaw Valley Community of Writers, and the Colgate Writers Conference. He teaches at the Borough of Manhattan Community College at CUNY. So come here, Sheila, David, Stella, and Bakar this Saturday at 3 p.m. outside of 70 John Street in Brooklyn. For more information, please check the show notes or visit undercurrent.nyc. For more about Dumbo Open Studios, please see DumboOpenStudios.com. So now let's turn to Adriana's interview with Megan Cox. Everybody, I'm so excited today to speak to artist Megan Cox. Um, Megan opened her first solo show in New York at our very own Undercurrent. The show is called Hours and Hours and is comprised of 23 amazingly tender paintings, I would say. And I'm so pumped to have her here to discuss the show and her practice. Um, so thank you so much for being on the show, Megan. Hello, Adriana. I'm so happy to talk to you. Thank you so much. I'd like to start off with kind of the quintessential but very boring and tedious question. But I'd like to start off by asking about your background and you know how you got started with art. Absolutely. And Please feel free to let me know if I uh, begin to ramble. I grew up and uh, was raised in the Midwest, specifically in Indiana. My, my mother and father are uh, they're writers. My dad is a poet and my mom did, has been doing kind of historical romance as well as kind of fantasy-based romance. Um, Love it. Yeah. And uh, so they're both writers, they, but they did not, they did not do that as their full-time job. It was something that they both, they both worked kind of um, jobs, jobs rather than 
than career. So when I was growing up, my dad had a lot of jobs in manufacturing Mm -hmm. and kind of changed jobs quite a bit. And my mother, she also changed jobs. She did everything from being an admin assistant to working in a food service to working at a check cashing company as a teller. So that was kind of my upbringing. Um, And then I sort of fell into to drawing and painting by accident. I, uh, I was bad at a lot of things. <laughs> I was just very, I was someone who really wanted to participate, which is strange because right now as an adult, I'm, I'm so shy. Mm. <laughs> I'm so, so very shy. Um, and even more so in 2020. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, um, I just kind of fell into, fell into things by accident. And I just knew I wanted, wanted to be very good at something. And, and when I um, took my first drawing and painting class, it was like an observationally based class, just meaning that there was something in front of you and you had to, we learned to sight measure and, and do these specific things. It was the first thing that I actually felt like I was good at mm. and just kind of pursued that. And um, I did my undergrad at Indiana University in Bloomington. And I also received a degree in art history focusing on medieval art and architecture. Oh, wow. And, um, and then from there, received my MFA from University of Pennsylvania. And that's how I ended up in Philadelphia. I just stayed here after graduate school. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's it. That's amazing. That's so funny. I mean, I like to touch on a couple things. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's so, you know, I was also quite bad at a lot of things. I mean, <laughs> elementary school is where you start to like, oh, wait, you know, I, <laughs> I was incredibly bad at math. I mean, I remember like, my peers would laugh at me how bad I mean I'm still bad at math um yeah they would just be giggling and like how do you not understand like the pie is you know you know factors <laughs> I mean, it was totally incomprehensible <laughs> to me um but I remember like you know I'd have this I don't want to say talent because but I did I did have like a you know that's what I would go to like drawing and I remember I would like sell little portraits on the schoolyard and that's totally, I want to say that's illegal, but I don't know. I would charge, charge my little peers like, you know, $3 a pop to, you know, do a really badly rendered version of them. But I think that it's interesting how as kids, it's not necessarily like maybe, I don't know. I always think about like, was I destined to do this or was I kind of like, this was what I was easiest, what was easiest for me or what I had most enjoyment from. Yeah, it's really interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I feel the same way. I, you know, when, when I was growing up, I was every single thing that I had tried, it was, it was a disaster. And I thought I wanted to be a pharmacist, you know, and I, I took chemistry early and, and did very poorly. Yes. So I think it was more about like, I also thought I wanted to be an anthropologist or even, you know, working out in the field somewhere, but I think in my head, I had this idea of like, oh, I just want to wear a lab coat and like carry a clipboard (laughs) and like study something and be like, yes, these observations here, 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 what, here's what the, and here's the history of my observations. So let me type up the, like type this up. And so it wasn't really based on reality, but it was strange that, you know, under like, going out into the landscape or, you know, doing 
like working on drawing, it was just something that where everything else felt like it took so much effort, you know, trying very hard. This was something that, oh, I don't have to try so hard. It's just something I can enjoy and be good at. Yeah, totally. That's so funny though, because you become a sort of chemist. I mean, (laughs) I'm sure you wear a little overcoat uh, (laughs) to get the paint on your clothes. So one could say you fulfilled that Everything everything worked out correctly. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And I read an interview before this doing some research myself. I was reading an interview with uh, Kimmy Pryor in the Philly Pier, I want to say. Yes. Yes. And it was so, I was so like overwhelmingly grateful at your like candidness about, you know, navigating art school or, you know, art, mm-hmm. art programs. And, you know, it's, it, as you were saying, you came up against quite a few criticisms from, you know, your peers or your professors, which I can totally relate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like criticism can be so stifling and crippling, but it seems like, it seems like a natural instinct of yours or inherently you had some sort of strength that combated it and I'm wondering was this do you think that was like inherently there or was that something you learned through navigating that well that's that's really interesting and yeah um that interview with Kimi who's a very close friend of mine um I I did have a couple of jalapeno margaritas (laughs) was probably a little bit loose in that interview. Um, Love it. (laughs) In graduate school was tough because first of all, just contextually, I was extremely young. I think I was 22 Mm. or 23, you know, it it was just, just did not really grasp adulthood yet. And um, also in like a really, really bad situation in terms of, um, relationships. It just was not a, the healthiest time of my life. Yeah. Um, and I had also, when I was in undergraduate school, um, it was, I was, ex- I was so devoted to this specific way of painting, um, which was all observation, just kind of like, you know, taking notes on the clipboard, just like, you know, everything, like not having to rely on any tools and just being yeah. able to, to paint what's in front of me. And, you know, when I went to graduate school, that was of course question, which it should be. I mean, that's, that's what it's for. I think where, first of all, it's so expensive. It is so, so expensive. And I mean, it's just, I don't know if there would be any, any program in the world that would feel like, oh, this like, all this debt was definitely worth that, you know, (laughs) that would be really, really like, you know, difficult, but I think like, uh, it's not the criticism, like the criticism, the healthy criticism was, was good. I like, I would get, you know, occasionally like, oh, sometimes these paintings have too much taste and that like, I totally understand. (laughs) Like, yeah. Or like, like real criticism, the, the issue I really felt, and I feel like this can be a problem with like very, with like popular graduate programs that base a lot of what they're doing on the market, mm. etc. is that, you know, it's just 
too can be too market driven and that is just a, such a poor way to say it like for example it was just a, like oh this isn't art or oh this is provincial like hearing that over and over and over again felt so unproductive mm -hmm. like okay well let's try to have a conversation that is productive and we but just like oh these are the artists you like well I'm going to throw your catalogs in the wastebasket and just this is this didn't seem worth all of that money and like I that sounds like bullying <laughs> like yeah it felt like it a little it, you know it was you know it's just um like certain and and I had some extremely great faculty in with the students. Um, the other students were fantastic. It was just that it got kind of, I don't know, I don't know. And I, and I just want to be honest about what my experience was because totally. I feel like a lot of when I was talking to other, other people in graduate school, like, yeah, this is so expensive and I, I'm having a terrible time and, um, you know, I find it unproductive. So I think it's possible. I mean, like I said, I had like a lot of really pointed, I, a lot is not, I'm lying. That's not true. Like I had some, some people were very helpful, but a lot of it, um, like when I went to, to in, at Penn, there's a professor named Gabe Martinez, who is mm. so great. And a lot of others were great, but then I don't know, just, a lot of times it was just, you know, focused on, well, we can't even talk about this until you start making art. And it's like, it just felt like that's not, that's not the most productive, you know? No, I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's like awful. And I mean, I think that, I mean, just even my experience at undergrad, like there's an aspect of like unlearning that has to happen while you're learning everything. Absolutely. Because you get like, you know, people are like, oh, I, I mean, I've gotten that before, like, oh, this is beautiful, but, and I'm like, but what? Like, <laughs> like, and so, so trying to form students for what you said very adeptly, like the market aspect of everything is like, you have to sort of say to yourself, well, I didn't come here necessarily for the market. I came here to, to learn. Absolutely. And I think that it's just so there's, you have to kind of be like, wait, this doesn't resonate with me, this advice. And I'm just going to keep moving yeah. forward yeah, or backward yeah. or sideways. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a weird trap of our school. And also because, I mean, maybe things are changing a little bit because when you study, whether it's undergrad or graduate school, you, there's this like umbrella you know, you're getting art training in mm -hmm. air quotes or even painting training. And it's so broad and right. there's so much, I mean, there's so much, it feels like if there were a way to kind of, I don't, I don't know even where this thought is going, but it just, it's so broad. And it seems like, you know, you're just at the, you know, mercy of whoever your critics, right. But their age, Right. It, you know, and what their opinion is and what, you know, what their gender is and what their place in the world is. And what's popular at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, it can be, I think, you know, MFAs, that, that training can be a little, little problematic to say yes. the least. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've heard a lot of people, you know, complain about this aspect of professors and 
grad school who, yeah, maybe they want to teach, but they're kind of molding mini me's essentially mm-hmm. to, be connect- to be connected to certain circles that they are connected with. And, you know, I think that's so antithetical to like what forming an, an artistic endeavor or lifelong journey should be. I mean, so I, I really appreciate like you being so honest in that interview. I mean, I think it should be talked about much yeah. more. It's higher education. It's, I don't know. It's, I don't know that the tie to the market is what's always, you know, bothered me a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I also read that you have taught at a variety of colleges, which is amazing. Um, and I'm always fascinated by artists who kind of juggle, you know, a vocation with their uh, practice. And we also had like, I want to say this was last year. I have the worst chronological memory, but we had a panel at Undercurrent called Working Artists. And it was really interesting to hear lots of different artists from Shoshana Weinberger to Travis Leroy Southworth talk about, you know, their day jobs, whether that be photo retouching or mm-hmm. working at a gallery or teaching. So I guess like, you know, how have you juggled day jobs, whatever form that might take and perhaps your practice and other responsibilities? I, I teach part-time as an adjunct um, and you're right, I have taught at a lot of places. Um, <laughs> I started, I think my first, I mean, I TA'd at Penn when I was there for figure sculpture as well as um, figure drawing. And then from there, I, I think my first job was at Temple University um, teaching painting. And then from there, Community College of Philadelphia, which is the best. And um, I, I still that. there. Yeah, it's um, it's my far my, well, I'll get back to that. But um, Drexel University, which I still teach at, which is also a place that has great faculty, uh, particularly uh, the drawing coordinator, Anda Dubinskis, who I work for is wonderful. And then for, I've also taught, I did a year at Cutstown, which Dynamatis, which who uh, is one of the undercurrent people. Shout out. <laughs> a little shout out. Um, that's where I was able to meet Dinah. Um, I did a year at Penn State Altoona. Um, oh man, I had, that was a, a good experience. Um, and then also Brooklyn College. Uh, that was the only time I, I've taught in the New York area, but I taught there for a year. Uh, where else? University of the Arts. And gosh, I know I'm leaving something out. Well, you're incredible. This is incredible. I mean, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. So currently I, I am teaching, oh, at PAPA, Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts. <laughs> and uh so I think that uh basically covered in all these places take like, either a year more than a year so just a lot of these being Philadelphia institutions and I teach mostly introductory courses which means this is introductory courses like drawing one is one of those courses that I feel like you know that it's just kind of thrown to like graduate students or I or even like, oh, you're new at teaching, teach drawing one, but it's one of those courses that is, if you do it well, is extraordinarily difficult to teach because there's a whole, like this is the the one time they get introductory drawing and and you are responsible for giving them a skill set. 
that they will either move on and be able to use or be like, oh, I don't really think that I know perspective or, you know, or just like, right. right. And, and of course the places I've taught it and what I've done, I've taught, I, I teach drawing one, sometimes intermediate drawing, often figure drawing, often paint, introductory painting or intermediate painting and, or, and, and I do a lot of kind of specialized, like figurative based classes. Um, and, and those work for me is like, you brought up the question about the day job and that works for me as a day job, because I'm constantly, you have to kind of speak ideas very clearly. Right. Imagine that you've got a room full of, of students who don't have any experience and have to help them see in order to make the work. So it's one level, they, you know, the kind of basic coordination and the skill, but, but on the more primary level, getting them to learn to see relationships, drawing relationships, painting relationships, just learning to see. And then from there, learning how to take that knowledge and learning to express it. Um, and where that helps me is back in the studio because mm-hmm. like, oh, like I'm just talking about this. And the nice thing about adjunct teaching, I don't always love it because the pay is real bad for yeah. a lot of schools, yes. <laughs> but it is good because I, I mean, you are kind of feel like just like, um, kind of free in some ways that as long as there's consistent work and when I say consistent again that's air quotes around that because you always like have to be prepared like what's the work going to be like this semester or this quarter I don't know and so you can't have a real like there's no like finance real financial planning that can happen or anything however you can go in teach your class and you're thinking about what's going on in the studio all the time like right. oh, what I'm thinking about and then you can leave it there really easily like and then go back to your so it's all very fluid so it doesn't have to feel like I'm working from different parts of the brain the only part that changes is like okay I have to be I have to present myself and kind of perform a little bit right right <laughs> and be in front of people and not be too weird <laughs> um, and uh still still that's not always possible but yeah it's it's nice it's nice and I think it I think it's a good good life outside of like you know not having a ton of ton of cash but outside of that it's a pretty good good life in terms of feeling like because I'm really into like the studio and being in the studio. So it's nice to have that life where it's all feeling very fluid and knowing that, especially at the introductory level, you are like, you're, you are reaching students, you know, like, totally. I know that I, if I had a good or bad experience in my introductory classes, I definitely remember that. And I either remember, don't do it like that, or this was very useful and helpful. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally, totally resonate with that, like, and I think what you touched upon, like, learning how to see was so important. I was in Dinah's drawing class, actually. It was the first year of drawing, it was an elective, and it's so funny because... Measuring. Yes, I was, you know, I was quite bad, I was like, I would, Dinah, if you're listening to this, I totally pretended I knew what you're talking about, but... (laughs) 
my non-mathematical brain just couldn't get it for some reason. So I relied on instinct, which luckily got me through. But <laughs> what I was thinking was like, it's so amazing because those introductory classes, you're with fashion students, sometimes you're with, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes just um, liberal arts students. And everybody approaches learning how to do perspective, especially a little bit fearful, dipping their toes in, but it becomes kind of like a meditative, like, how am I relating to my environment? Absolutely. That is, I, and I know it's very Western. That's that I, I love, I love teaching perspective. I think that's my dream class to teach because it's less about like, oh, here's the rules and you, you know, here's your eye level, the vanishing points, blah, blah, blah. But like understanding your body in space and really able to like, that is so like, I mean, I, I, it's something that I, I think is so, so valuable and I always get something from it and it's so exciting to teach it. And um, it embodies you. It's so true. It's like, you're, you're like, it's a somatic interrogation of where am I like what do I feel like am I heavy am I curved is my spine like out of sync whatever like yeah it's 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 extremely existential and it really lets you know what you see I mean in introductory classes we start out drawing blocks and learning proportions height versus width and then um thinking about like you know I I don't teach the linear, when I say perspective, I mean linear perspective. Um, we kind of touch on at the beginning, oh, look at these angles and how they're not quite symmetrical. <laughs> um, but then like getting closer and closer, let's go into this big space. Um, we have this great building um, on campus at Drexel called the main building. It's so ornate. And there's all this, like these grand arches and this big furniture. And, you know, these long corridors and there's so much to look at. And it's such a strange experience. So we're in here, we go and we sit down, we kind of go to the spot and I visit all the students and they're looking at the space and trying to figure out where their eye level is, where their vertical band hit, blah, blah, blah. But what like always kills them is like, wait a minute, when I look at this like chair that's right here, And I look at it relative to that back wall. And it's like, how was this like, how is that, that scale difference? So how is this chair like (laughs) the size of that back wall? It's insane. But yeah, that kind of stuff is fun. And in fact, um, speaking to the hours and hours exhibition, little segue um, that the, um, the paper paintings in that, when I, when we had to transition online and I, I was teaching painting, um, through, through this entire time I've taught painting and it was a difficult experience. I mean, we were trying to like, think about how to translate the studio experience distance, um, was it, was a bit of a challenge. And one of my, favorite assignments oh I can't remember the author's name I'll get back to it but it's um how to see color and paint it I believe the book is out of print not sure but there's this paper exercise where you just take a folded piece of paper and put it in a shadow box and light it and I Mm -hmm. did a variation on that it always like you get these poems of paintings of just like these students having to like 
I ask them to come up with sort of a color narrative. And we talk about, you know, what can kind of analogous colors do or compliments do and try to set up a color narrative and they fold mm. this paper and light it. And they're, and that's part of the, the idea is the composition and how they make their shapes of paint. And then when they light it, you know, what kind of light and shadow is created. Right. Um, right. And it was so fun to, and I did um, demo videos for all the, all the, and, and live demos for all the, the, the exercises. That was one of my favorite ones to do the demo for. And then always the student response was so, so lovely. And I just had such a, like, I felt like it really got to the point in terms of what I'm interested in, in terms of painting, just light and observation and space and, uh, shape and so like the a lot of the paper on pa paper on paper paintings came from like that the teaching experience of it was for the painting students it's their first week of color so it's literally like if you have this quote-unquote orange piece of paper and you fold it up and you lit it by a warm artificial light you know what does that color look like in light mm. and shadow like that orange no longer becomes quotation orange mm. and having to kind of understand that relationship and it was it's really fun to teach and it's so satisfying just like you know emptying of content in a way and just yes. like beautiful poetry of like folded paper and and totally just painting what's in front of you I'm thinking about like also that, I mean, all of these paintings and which we'll go into in a second, um, but if I'm correct, they were made in quarantine. So there's a very direct kind of situational taking stock of what one has that I think, I mean, a lot of artists have had to move to their homes, home studios have had to, can't afford, you know, their, their, their exterior studios Mm -hmm. out in the world and it's it's really interesting to see what people have been interacting with uh whether it be subject matter or you know concept I feel like these were so poignant because it felt like to me it felt like it was like little notches in a piece of wood kind of like mm -hmm. taking stock day after day of what one has experienced um yeah and I I guess I would just I, I did a double take walking in there because I had a, I knew they were going to be paintings, but when I walked in there, especially, and I guess because of the, the framing around it, which is just on the same piece of panel, mm -hmm. I thought they were prints or reproductions of a painting. Um, so that was really interesting to kind of have to seek surface and seek, um, texture in the surface and like kind of have that moment of like distrust if you will which mm -hmm. was incredible when I kind of figured it out but like yeah if you could just speak about these these works for the listener yes um I I feel like there are multiple things as all art has that kind of goes into the making of them and yes you hit on like I also thought of tick marks on wood um, I in no way um, thought I would ever want to do quarantine paintings, but <laughs> it did feel like, you know, you have to just be in, have, have a, like, I just, I'm not good at like, okay, here's, 
here's this concept that's out here and I'm going to investigate and then make work. So totally got to make work that is true to one's experience. And I, for a long time, been painting the figure and, um, there are a couple of figure paintings in the, in the exhibition, but at the time, even before they started before quarantine and even before that happened, I had been feeling like I, I'm, I feel like I can paint, I've been doing figure paint. I feel like I can paint the figure from life really well, but I was sort of feeling like I was forcing the figure in a way. Mm. Um, whereas what I really wanted to express maybe didn't have a narrative so direct to it. And I feel like the figure automatically assumes that you are bringing a narrative. It doesn't necessarily, but um, in a lot of ways, it assumes sort of a narrative. And, and, and then quarantine happened and I knew that I did not want, like felt irresponsible to bring someone into the studio and I did not want to paint mass like mass figures or <laughs> that's not what I was interested in right and then also it felt you can't like okay let's be in this tight space and take out your mask it's cool and, yeah yeah um, and then again I was just like I don't know I just had this Christ like quote, larger quotes crisis of subject matter like I don't even know that I'm not really connected to it anymore at all and two things did resonate with me like you know one that kind of you know when you're in this this space and like I've got to paint something you have to get to the core of what's important to you mm -hmm. and it is just shape and light and more than that, kind of trying to achieve something with simplicity mm. and, and just wanting to stay with a small moment as long mm. as possible. And like, that interests me, like, here's just a little, like, crappily cut out triangle and like, you tilt it up. I just want to stay there. And there's no reason for anyone to care about it, but I did and and do and wanted to say like, here's this color in this specific light. And also while that's happening, realizing that, you know, I, like like many of, of us that enjoy seeing art in person, realize that you're not able to do that and realize that most of the art I was looking at was in a book. Mm, and mm -hmm. yeah, this is totally an accident, but <laughs> this book I was looking at is Toma Ops, who I, I was really looking at a lot during quarantine. So what's her name? Toma Ops, a German painter here. And you can see these, got these, I encourage if you don't know, listener, like looking up her work, just really beautiful abstractions that happen very intuitively mm. I believe that are very small scale I, I don't remember the exact scale but you know there's no real kind of agenda to start there's just this kind of I think I don't want to speak for this person but kind of starting at a point and just like not knowing where it's going to go in a way a lot of the that's how the paper paintings were just like here's the light and try and just improvising on the spot mm. in case 
thinking about kind of the formatting of art books and um, and how that is the way I'm looking at art right now. I, I look at art online like everyone else, but I love looking at it through like a book. And, and so that's sort of what triggered the idea of like the formatting of the paintings, um, kind of mimicking that of like a art book. Right. And that's that's really really fascinating too and like especially now in this past year with quarantine like art has had to move online to such an extent and it's like kind of Walter Benjamin debate about whether you know you're getting the real experience or like what it what does it mean to see paintings through a screen and I think that's like I don't know the answer so yeah it's, yeah. it's interesting I don't either. And um, I definitely found more comfort and, and looking through, I mean, it is enticing and exciting to see like current work made on any, but there's always kind of like a, I don't know, it always feels like it's happening so fast. And there's just a slower, slower relationship when you're looking at a book. I know that I definitely stay with an image longer when I look at it yeah. in a like, physical copy, rather than if I'm, even if this thing is genius and amazing, I know that I'll spend less time with it on a screen. I just do. And, and then, and also like, like you had mentioned, just the way that we're experiencing art, it seemed, it seemed apropos to like use that and, and this work that was really about time and really about um, the process of being slow and looking and repetition. And, you know, there's also something about the kind of materiality of the page and like the painting itself being this kind of physical object. And then also on another note, I had done some tests that didn't include the formatting and something about like, and it's strange you brought up the, the screen, like, I feel like the paintings just don't read as well on the internet. They're mm -hmm. definitely an in-person sort of, in-person in sort of viewing. But when I had done some paintings, like the, the fig, couple of figures that were in there, there's something that having, I, I put in the paintings, that little line, like a, a, a border, kind of a piping around the images, right. something about creating that border brings like an, a specific focus to mm. the image in a way that when it's just kind of on the wall and the wall itself is what is framing the image. It just does something different right. um, in terms of the interaction. So it's and then you have online, it's like, there's another framing device, which is the post, like the actual post <laughs> being like um, at the whimsy of Instagram's formatting. And then you have your own kind of feed as another yeah framing absolutely 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 that that stuff is so interesting to me the way that we're viewing art and how we're thinking about art um and thinking about painting but yeah absolutely yeah yeah so everybody go see it in person so we, <laughs> we yeah everybody needs to go see it in person it's superb I had a few more questions and then I'll let you let you go I wanted to kind of note the like centrality inherent in the compositions in your paintings I was looking at your other work as well just to see and it seems like quite a a reoccurring thing to have it placed in the center whatever the object might be or the focus of study like there seemed to be 
a lot of tension in that for some reason, because, you know, we learn in art school, like that's the most copacetic, Mm -hmm. like creating tension, you go towards the edges or whatever, you have it slightly off frame. But what I noted from this show, especially, and then your other work was like this feeling of tension created by something happening right outside the picture frame, Mm -hmm. which I really enjoyed because I also felt like I wasn't, I wasn't privy to like a secret or something. And I I really enjoyed that. I mean, like obviously with your portraits, most if not all, I don't want to say anything definitively, are looking out to the side or not even making direct eye contact with you, the painter. But then also the ones in which you have figures that are covering themselves or you have a hand like medallion reaching out and kind of placing an object. Mm -hmm. It's like the tension of bodily movement happening right outside and then also there's one more it's the one where everybody is like outside of a door oh I think it's called everyone maybe (laughs) everyone yes and you it's like the moment right before something occurs or maybe right after but you're not gonna see it and so I I was gonna ask about like this idea of centrality and whether what what you what kind of prompts this in your work I appreciate that question because I think about it a lot. I consider myself a formalist, first of all, and, but interested in, in like hinting at something kind of outside of formalism, like an emo formalism or something. <laughs> that sounds really dumb, but kind of. But I think like there's something like a distanced intimacy when it comes to like here's something in the center there's there's something comfortable like in terms of I can relate to it when there's balance Mm -hmm. I can understand that I'm on the level and then but then suggesting something outside of the Mm -hmm. frame and I and I and I have thought about it a lot and I love it the fact like like yeah that the central composition is like the dumbest it's supposed to be like the dumbest thing to do like oh, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to put it dead in the center. It's going to be completely symmetrical, but I love playing with that. I love like, I love the idea of that. And that's again, what is driving like the cut paper paintings. It's like, I'm like, they're very formal and they're very kind of symmetrical and centralized, but just like, okay, the act is very improvisational and just, they're not like isosceles or anything like that. Um, they're just cut in a way that's meant to be intentionally very kind of clumsy or imperfect. Yeah. And, and then they're leaning on each other. So I like this idea of there being like a very direct formalism at play. Like even the portraiture, these are representational paintings, but they're really kind of abstract and they're like clear centralized formalism, but there is kind of, for lack of a better word, like an emotive quality to them just based on okay but if I just push it towards the light a little bit this way and it a little bit then there's this like I'm creating an intimacy but again the formalism keeps you at arm's length so I love playing with that kind of distanced intimacy and then the scale of course is also like very much a part of that also just like the history of like I don't know I mean, painting, obviously, but photography also. And like, what what is like the negative space or like what is not taken? What what part of the photograph is not focused upon? Which is really fascinating because, I mean, I think about like 
ideas of trauma or kind of terror on the exteriors and mm-hmm. artists role or perhaps just self-guided necessity to focus in on something mm-hmm. sometimes formal that will save them Absolutely. you know what I mean and I think that's really beautiful and I don't want to like describe any like sort of conceptual thing that doesn't resonate with you but I found them really like beautifully like tense but like you know, tenderly emancipating. I don't know how to explain it. It was like giving me a break from everything else, which is great. Yeah. Again, that comes to, I felt like you talked, we talked a little bit a second ago about like, oh, in our school, you're not supposed to do the central symmetrical composition. And you're also not supposed to focus on a detail either. And those are the things I'm, I'm interested in is not like the detail is in like, you know, an ear detail is in like an eye or whatever, but really being able to say, you know, this small moment, this color and this pattern is like, that's enough. And I'm definitely open to like being able to kind of create a meditative space inside these paintings. And, and for me, this show was a real breakthrough. It's like, I don't like, I was trying to do that with the, the figure so much, or even trying to be clever doing these other things but like no this and I think that's part of maybe what is positive about quarantine you have to kind of get to the point of what is important or you're just not going to be able to do it because it's so easy just be like this is I can't get up and do it yes so like to say this moment is enough and that's fine and and I can sit and be in this moment this color this sloppy triangle and this atmosphere. And there is something to like the kind of hard edges and then the soft atmosphere of the the environment. And, and I find myself like feeling like, okay, like, Oh, this is for a show. So I better get clever real quick (laughs) and uh, do something really, really like, Oh, look what I'm doing. Um, (laughs) And and then those paintings, when it would just never be working and like, yeah, like I think it's a hard thing to do too. The older you get, like to like just like this is honest and it's simple. And and two is like social media and everything else that can be hard to like to be satisfied to not like be like a one uppy or you know, just like I'm interested in this tiny moment and that's fine <laughs> and that's great. A hundred percent. I mean. I feel like, I don't know, but I feel like this body, I don't know you very well, nor have I spent a lot of time with your work, but this body of work feels very much like a new area for you. And that's really exciting. I don't know why that is, but I think, and like my last question touches upon your titles, which I loved. um, And we're going to be having a poetry reading on the 22nd, I believe. So excited for this. So excited. So I noted that a lot of the titles in the show, like That Late Afternoon in Lilac or That Early Evening in Blue, also connote like an experience that the viewers barred from in a way, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. And it's like an, another viewfinder in a way. It's like it's connoting a like a metaphysical space that we're not accessing either like a deja vu memory or something kind of that creates a larger space outside of what you're focusing in on pictorially, which is really fascinating. I'm, and I also thought about that in, in connection with like the lack of background detail in a lot of your work. 
And I was wondering like what prompted those titles and- Well, um, I mean, they're very honest in the way of it's again, not, I wasn't at the time like, oh, I've got a show coming up. And the last thing I wanted to do was make quarantine paintings. But again, that's sort of what just, and I don't really, con- I consider them at all like quarantine paintings. It's just the thing that blossomed out of, you know, having to be with yourself for so long. And yes. But what did happen is days started to become really repetitive and and going into the studio and sort of like, oh, at this time, the light's gonna look like this. At this time, the light's gonna look like this. And all of the paintings, they're, they, they're titled that day and, but oh my gosh, none of them took a day. They were all <laughs> like, like, like very, they took a lot of time. But <laughs> that idea that it sort of, part of what the pattern does in the atmospheric sort of blank space or even the, the food paintings and the pattern is like, it's this, it really kind of punctuates this tiny space and mm-hmm. sort of it. And in a, in a way, like in a lot of the patterns, they're a bit inspired by like uh, medieval book, books of hours, illuminated manuscripts, these kind of devotional texts um, that were actually often given to women as mm-hmm. uh, wedding presents. And you would see these like beautiful borders, these beautiful kind of ornate sort of swirly twirlies in the borders, these brilliant colors and, and, uh, and this idea of like the kind of intimacy with that in the book. And then, and that the idea that you have this daily devotion and, and then kind of doing a different version of that, having this sort of daily devotion to looking and to responding to what's directly in front of you and, Mm -hmm. and like being present in the way of like moving things around and cutting things out and looking at, and then painting them. They're all very different acts. Um, but, but yeah, so that kind of repetition and that devotion to kind of being present sort of inspired, like, that idea and it's very much like again we talked uh, about like what you are and are not supposed to do like I feel like one is supposed to have an audience and recognize what their audience is and I was like well honestly the only audience and this is not the right answer but I was like caring about the audience of one and like what I would think about these paintings so I was really trying to respond to that and so it is very much like like you, you had mentioned this kind of world is intimate, but also at a, at a distance in a way. Yeah. I mean, and then, then the, you know, the objects in the frame kind of prove their centrality or their importance, which is really <laughs> beautiful, you know, like they assert themselves, which is really lovely. So I don't have any more questions. Yeah. I I'm so so grateful that we've been able to talk tonight. I mean, it's been incredible. It has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you for making this so easy. Oh my God. I, you know, we both had our little beverages, you guys. We had a good time. (laughs) Yeah. So everybody should rush and see it. It's an amazing show. And it's just, I, you know, the opening was really incredible and people just stayed and stayed and stayed and looked and looked and looked which is such a good sign for a show and yeah um Megan if 
people want to learn more about you, where where would you like me you to direct them? I have a website. Um, it's megancox.net. And um, I'm not a huge social media person, but I <laughs> have an Instagram account. It's um, Megan, M-G-H-N, underscore management, M-G-M-T. <laughs> um, and that's, uh, that's the Instagram. And that's, that's about the, the only place. But if you want to meet me in person, I am so excited about the poetry event happening. So I will be coming to Brooklyn from Philly to um, be a part of that. Yes. And I just want to note that so it's May 22nd for the poetry event from three to four and it, and you can be among their words and Megan's beautiful, beautiful world. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I hope you can make it out to Undercurrent on Saturday. As always, you can find out more about Undercurrent at undercurrent.nyc, which includes links to Undercurrent social media profiles and to this podcast's archive. We're also on Instagram as undercurrent.nyc. So leave us a review, like, and subscribe to the podcast. So on behalf of Undercurrent and 1984 Products, I'm Wasir, and until next time.